This is Letters from an International Student. You're listening to Letters from an International Student, a podcast from Student Life and Learning Support, all about how international students who use English as an additional language tackle challenges and build confidence as writers at Canadian universities. I am your host, Yijin. Have you ever watched the movie called Arrival? More objects have landed around the world. This is one of 12. I'm never going to be able to speak their words. Got two days. Figure something out. It's their language. We need to make sure that they understand the difference between a weapon and a tool. Language is messy, and sometimes one can be both. It is a 2016 film by Denis Villeneuve, where an extraterrestrial spaceship mysteriously lands on the Earth's surface. Our main character, Louise, who is a linguist, is here in an attempt to communicate with the aliens and figure out what made them pay a visit to Earth. The movie talks about how language is a condensed version, or a reflection, of a culture. So once you learn the language, you start to think in the same way how the language itself was constructed, and how it is a rewiring process in a way. In the movie, as the main character starts to understand the alien language, she starts perceiving her life as the same way the aliens do. Well, I don't really want to spoil too much about the movie, so that's as far as my pitch goes about how good the film is. But you seriously should all watch it. It is a very good one. I shall admit that learning English might not sound as hard as learning a language from the aliens. Yet, a lot of international students struggle to navigate through the cross-cultural differences between their language and English. In this episode of the podcast, we're discussing cross-cultural differences and how they affect academic writing. We're going to cover different topics ranging from how tricky and inconsistent English can be to the different experiences students had when translating their thoughts and ideas into English writing. Of course, student experiences of English will be impacted differently depending on what exactly their first languages are. So full disclaimer, we don't want to generalize here. Instead, we're interested in how varied writing conventions and linguistic backgrounds can create unique yet shared experiences for international students using English as an additional language. One of the coolest things we learned in this episode is that students' linguistic backgrounds actually influence the way they see the world. Three undergraduate students, Yutong, Chloe, and Tasia, will be joining us today. We are then moving on to our interview with Chris, who is the Senior English Language Specialist at Writing and Language Support. So before we start, let me introduce the wonderful interview participants first. I always have a dream to become a writer, and I found it's pretty challenging because I um, use uh, second languages to write stories and to convey ideas between people and people from group to group. This is Yutang. Yutang is a second-year journalism student, originally from China. Next up is Chloe, a fourth-year fashion student who came to Canada from Taiwan. 
Yeah, it's really funny because like at the time I felt like my English was good, and also we had like a speaking class, and our teacher, the speaking teacher,、um, was Canadian. So at the time I feel like I'm I'm good in English, and then I came to Canada, and I was like, oh no, I wasn't. <laughs> She came here in grade eleven and finished high school before starting university. Lastly, this is Tasia, a third-year student in retail management. Yes, th- this is what happened in my first year. I just, I generally didn't know what I did wrong. <laughs> I was like, in my head, I wrote an amazing paper, but I, my mark came back, and I'm like, okay, that's not what I expected. She's from Ukraine, where she lived until she moved to Canada for her studies in tenth grade. These three students will be sharing their discoveries they made when they were exploring academic writing. Let's start with Yu Tang. Yu Tang noticed many differences in writing conventions when she started studying in Canada. One of them was that English has more emphasis on using topic sentences in paragraphs. Here in Canada, the academic writing we need to have、um, several topic sentences、uh, surrounded by the one topic sentence, right? And also that need to be different ideas to support that one topic sentence. But in China, what we only have one topic sentence, and then our whole passage will be、um, around that topic sentence. Yu Tang also found that English was a worthier language than Chinese. If you translate to Chinese to English, you will find that Chinese very simple, easy, and one characteristic would be have so many meanings behind it. English is more wordy. Ah,、uh, one Chinese character. Maybe translating to three English words and fifteen Chinese characters would be come to thirty, I guess, thirty English words. Tasia, on the other hand, found that English language instructors encourage the use of shorter sentences. In Russian and Ukrainian language, in academic writing, it's better that you use longer sentences, whereas here. It's better to write like shorter sentences because, it, like from my experience personally,、uh, I found that it's easier and more understandable to deliver thoughts in shorter sentences that make more sense. And f-、uh, for some reason, a lot of my peer reviews are actually、uh, telling me to shorten my sentences because sometimes, because of my background in Russian and Ukrainian, I tend to like write and going and on and on and on, and it becomes like a whole paragraph of only one sentence. In Russian, it would make sense, but in English, it wouldn't because of the grammar differences. Chloe found that her writing in English was limited by certain academic conventions. Using metaphors, for example, was a common practice in writing assignments in Taiwan, but these aren't typically used in the Canadian context. The usage of metaphor and similes. Like when I was back home, I used metaphors like a lot, probably like every two sentences. And just because in the language there are lots of phrasing, they are just like have metaphors similarly with them. And so when I start writing in English, I try to use that way, and my teacher will always be like, "What are you saying? What do you mean by that?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "Oh, you need to be really clear, really straightforward." I feel like I had a lot of comment about from my professor. It's like, you have a lot of research done, and your point's really interesting, but your language is really confusing. And <laughs> I feel like that's what they're talking about. 
just I haven't really fully transitioned from that type of writing to the English writing yet. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm really glad that you brought up that point about writing、uh, in metaphors. That is Katria, by the way, another member of the team, just like how Mia would describe it. Anyways, back to the interview. Is that something that's embedded in written Mandarin specifically, or is it also in the spoken language? That sort of use of of metaphors and similes. Um, I feel like that's just something embedded in our language, because like, um, in our language we'll have like how do you say like idiom and phrases, maybe same type of thing. We have that in English too. But we have that in Mandarin, and、uh, when you are writing in Mandarin, if you l- use those phrases, you get higher mark because it's like really concise term. It's it's usually four words, and it's like really concise and then conveys a lot. And there is also always like historical content behind it. So I just always use that. But like in English, I, I like I don't know English enough to have that amount of idiom phrases. And then sometimes I try to make my own, and then my friends just be like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Tasia had a similar experience, even though she grew up in Ukraine. We actually use a lot of more proverbs in、uh, language, like in writing. Here in academic writing, I、uh, what I've noticed is it's not as common to use proverbs and like phrases. Because it's official like language you should be writing with, whereas in Ukrainian and Russian,、um, it's kind of part of the language itself. It's a little bit frustrating because I have to adjust the way I think in both languages. Because even though I try to think in English and deliver my thoughts directly in English, still in the back of my head I think in Russian, and what it means that I have to adjust my thoughts in Russian, like to. Follow the structure that English formal language has. Hearing all these stories made our team think a lot about how these cross-cultural differences in language impact students' overall ability to express themselves. Translating from Mandarin or Ukraine to English is not a one-to-one process. Sometimes in English, we don't have the right words to capture what student is trying to say. This can feel so limiting for multilingual students who might be trying to use an expression or metaphor that references history or context from their own culture. Not only can students not say what they really mean, but they're also losing a bit of their history and culture when writing in English. Another finding Chloe observed is that sentence structures in English looked different than in Mandarin. She says this can restrict her ability to vary sentence structure, which writing educators often encourage students to do. Just the way you write is totally different. In Mandarin, we can have a really long sentence. A sentence include because, so, although, but, like all those words together in one sentence. But when I'm writing English, people are like, "You you can't put these two words together." I'm like, "Why not?" <laughs> I find it really frustrating, and I feel like research paper is always like really boring. Especially like when my English is not that good yet. Like I can vary my sentences, but not that much. You know, like my sentence structure is just always that few types of structure, and like reading my paper, you just feel like this is super boring. <laughs> Tasia also told us that she did not have much experience with academic writing before coming to Canada. 
even in her other languages of Ukrainian and Russian. In Ukraine, her language instruction was more focused on grammar than writing. From what I know, it's a lot less structured, and that's why it's a lot harder for me to write in Russian or in Ukrainian. Because whereas, well, well, here you're given kind of a structure that you should follow on any paper. Like there is introduction, there is body, and there is conclusion, to say at least. What happens is actually Ukrainian and Russian grammar is so complicated that we actually learn grammar from grade one to grade eleven. We don't have much experience writing anything in school, and so any academic writing begins in university. And I don't have experience in university, so I wasn't able to compare the two. You know. Now that we've heard some testimonies from the students, we are now turning to talk to Chris Byerly, the senior English language specialist at Writing and Language Support. Chris created the English Language Support Unit 15 years ago. Now it became a service staffed with 15 students who work one-on-one with students, and their assignments most of the days of the week. But that's not the only programming that Chris oversees. He runs a weekly conversation group that emphasizes the social aspect of language learning. Student staff also facilitate a, a weekly English conversation group, which again brings people together. I think some students might just hang out with students in their own program. This is an opportunity to have a lot of sort of collaborative work and cross pollination between departments and faculties, and between different people on campus. I've found that sometimes visiting scholars, postdoctoral fellows, they know the value of English at their stage in their education, and they are visiting、uh, the university for six to six months to a year, and they have a. Voracious appetite to、uh, tap into any of the English language programs that are offered on campus. So, if they're part of the conversation group, that actually their energy and their their positive energy actually transfers to the rest of the group. Reading aloud is an important learning strategy that is used at English language support. The biggest challenge is is finding their written voice. I think students know that you know writing and speaking are different, but they treat writing as kind of a very different animal in many ways. And kind of guesswork, they're trying to say, well,、uh, this is what academic English is all about, and I'm going to try to you know impress my instructor by、uh, throwing in all these big academic words. But often these words are not used in、uh, correctly or in, out of context or they're inappropriate, what have you.、Um, so I think working with the student staff, I think, really helps for you know,、uh, you know, what do you mean by that, or you know, what are you trying to say here? And when they talk about it, it's very often when they explain what that passage is all about, the students say, you know, I love what you just said. That's what you should have in your written work. So again, it's getting to the point where they are finding their written voice. Most of our appointments, they actually the student is reading their work aloud. So we're trying to encourage them to connect with what they can hear their written、uh, voice when they read their work aloud, and they're starting to find and trust their instincts of how things will flow and connect. And Chris says the programming at English language support is designed to help students develop their own writing instincts. We're there to sort of facilitate, to draw attention, to maybe some identify, help identify some of the common errors students are making or some of the challenges they are facing. But we really want to get them in their writing and their speaking to be able to start to self-identify some of these challenges they're having and then self-correct. And again, that comes from providing kind of a supportive environment. 
uh, where students feel safe, uh, there's no, no judgment, and a place that they, you've kind of create a, a community of learners where students can come in at any stage in their development and feel supported. Part of what Chris attributes to success of the programming is its peer-led learning approach. Well, I think uh, again, I'm I'm very fortunate to be able to hire 15 students. They're all undergraduate students from across departments and programs. So peer-led learning, I think, is has proven itself to be so beneficial in this situation because they're closer in age. Obviously, some of them have done the courses that students are struggling with who come in. Uh, so they know the coursework. Often they know the professors, the instructors. They're familiar with the marking rubrics, the expectations, all of this, and they can kind of there's that empathy piece. Um, that student staff can relate to, and they can they can talk about their own experiences and their own challenges they've faced. So I think that the sort of that power dynamic is broken down when you have uh, student staff and sort of front facing programs like that that are on the front line working with student staff um, to be able to they're relatable. Uh, it does lower the anxiety level tremendously when students can uh, relate to what another student is going through and saying, "Well, listen, this is what I've done in the past. This worked for me," and I think that really helps. Chris recalls one of his most memorable moments of working with a student. There was one other story I just wanted to share with you. This is several years ago. There was a visiting a postdoctoral fellow from China who was uh, conducting research on campus, and he arrived, I think, in. In late July, I guess,、um, and he had never used English. His reading and、uh, writing were were exceptional. I mean, he was he was published in English,、um, but he had never used English as a means of daily communication. So he arrived. His advisor、uh, sent him to me. <laughs> So he showed up at my office, looking very sheepish, as as if he'd been sent to the principal's office. And he said,、um, "I was sent to you because、uh, I arrived、uh, two weeks ago, and my advisor informed me that he's already registered me to speak at an international conference in Montreal in October." <laughs> right. So it was like so right away. I think he had regrets about even taking on this postdoctoral <laughs> fellowship. So it was like. Uh, I kind of want to go home. All right.、Um, so he had his sightlines on getting through this presentation at this conference in Montreal, this engineering conference,、um, and so we were tasked together. We we、uh, worked on this. So he had never presented in English before, ever. Um, so we worked together. We got things together. He had weekly meetings with me. I encouraged him to go and make appointments with the student staff as well to build his confidence and fluency in his spoken English.、Uh, and truly, the true story.、Uh, we worked on it. Worked on it. Worked on it. We made it much more sort of interactive with him speaking with the audience as opposed to speaking at the audience.、Uh, and true story, he won the award as the best presenter at that conference. Truly, I have never forgotten that story. To this day, I well up with pride when I think about that achievement. Are you dreaming in their language? That was from the movie Arrival. Once again, people say that the way to know if you have mastered the language is to see if you dream in that language. Apparently, my dad agrees too. One summer, a couple years ago, I was back home in Korea. I was getting out of my dad's car at the underground parking lot that my apartment complex had. My dad, 
who has a very vague understanding about my Canadian life, randomly asked me if I dream in English. I thought about it for a moment and responded, "Well, I do, I guess." And he simply said, "Wow, you must speak English so well." I mean, I kind of have to so I can pass my courses to graduate. But at the same time, I understand his surprise at my response. My dad has never seen me speaking English. Yutang, Chloe, Tasia, and I all have different experiences when it comes to English writing, but we all can agree that learning English is not just about the language itself. It is also about learning different cultural norms and values. It is also a complete rewiring process of how your brain cells interact with each other. Think about it; that is pretty mind blowing. Learning a whole new language and writing something academic out of it is a huge, huge deal. I think we, as an international students who use English as an additional language, should give ourselves more credit and take pride in it. No matter how nervous you might be living in Canada, and how life hits you hard, always, always remember that some people only speak English, and you are incredibly talented to speak at least two languages. Thank you for listening to this episode of Letters from an International Student. This was your host Heejin. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode where we talk about citation, plagiarism, and academic integrity. Bye bye for now. This podcast was produced by Heejin Kim, Mira Govindasamy, and Katria Bolger. Graphic design is by Miriam Nusser, and this episode was edited by Heejin Kim. Thank you to the RBC Immigrant Diversity and Inclusion Grant, as well as Student Life and Learning Support for support with this project. Special thanks to our interviewees Chris Brierley, Tasia Nikolnikova, Chloe Chen, and Yu Tang Song.